0: Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders podcast, part of the Talent Four Hundred Nine Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive, and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For the final podcast of Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month, I have Chantel Corbin on the show. Chantel is an elementary principal in the Fabius Pompey School District in Syracuse, New York. This is a really great episode because Chantel is able to provide us with some excellent insight into the administrator side of education and all that entails. Really interesting, really different and unique, especially in comparison to what you get on the teacher side and the coach's side. And you'll hear about all of the differences throughout this podcast. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam with Blink 182. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today I have Chantel Corbin on the line with me. Chantel, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Oh yeah, thank you Colin for having me today.
0: Absolutely, we're gonna dive right into this because we got a ton to cover and a ton that we're gonna get through throughout the course of our conversation. But I wanna give you an opportunity as I do with all of my guests to first tell everybody who are you.
1: Thanks, Colin. Right now, I'm currently an elementary principal at Vegas Pompey Elementary School. We are located south of Syracuse. So for you Syracuse University fans, we're very close to the dome, although I hear the dome is going to be revamped. It's going to be something else. But other than that, I've been an administrator for 12 years, and uh, I've been an athletic director, special education chairperson, professional development coordinator, tech coordinator, and pretty much anything an administrator you can think about. I've done it. I just recently finished my school business official degree and now possibly looking to take some courses for a superintendency. So, kind of busy in education.
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, that's certainly a lot. And it seems like education and maybe helping others is really at the core of a lot of the work that you've done in the past and even seems like, obviously, what you want to do here in the future. Has it always been that way for you? Like, did you know growing up that teaching was something that you wanted to do or being in education and being able to impact students and younger people in different ways? Was that something that you always wanted to do?
1: It's interesting. I don't know. I think it just kind of fell upon me because I think in my earlier years, I always was like interested in, you know, athletics. I actually twirled baton a bit. So it's kind of athletic in nature. And I just kind of was always around school events. So I don't know if I really wanted to be in education per se. It just kind of fell in my lap and then Someone said, you know, in your high school career, you know, you go to leadership conferences. They're like, I would get picked to do those things. So it was kind of like, yeah, you seem to have those qualities. So why don't you use them? Um, I originally wanted to be like physical therapist or athletic trainer, but I ended up in education. So that's where it led me.
0: Very interesting. So you mentioned athletics being a big part of your life growing up. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what you played, how you competed, how long you played those type of things.
1: Yeah. So, what's interesting is like I kind of mentioned, I twirled the baton uh, when I was really young, and then all of a sudden, middle school age hit, and there's like, oh, you could p- start participating in basketball, cross country different sports like that. And so obviously by that opportunity, I was able to do that. And it was more like school where now, if you look at athletics has turned, like kind of turned into a bigger boom. Like when I was growing up, we didn't have too many like youth groups. It was more like, you know, Vince Lombardi League or, you know, Pop Warner now called. And so I was a cheerleader there. And so, and you watch boys play football, just kind of very segregated. And, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. And then I was like, oh, I can do this. I want to do this. And when I went to high school, uh, I was really into lacrosse, but, you know, growing up where I was, we were just boys team. So, and I wasn't too outgoing there where I, you know, at that time you could challenge, you know, being on a boys team, you have to do all these like requirements, but I was like, you know what, I'm not kind of that role. I'm not going to go out there and do like shake up the tree. I like, I like to be a part of it and just kind of play out in the backyard with the, you know, the boys and stuff. And then when I got to college, I got lucky enough. I ran cross country for the first time. Half of the semester, because that was one of the things I really liked, was cross-country and running. And then SUNY Brockport is where I went. They were reinstating the women's lacrosse team. So I was like, hey, why not? It wasn't like you had to go to a, like a D1 program where it was already established. It was kind of like, we're just trying to redo this again. And they were kind of looking for any kind of uh, student that had an athletic ability. And luckily, even though girls game is different from the boys game, I had that kind of knowledge of lacrosse. So I was lucky enough to play.
0: It's super interesting. I have had this conversation now probably with a handful of people that have come on the show where they talk about how casually they picked up a sport kind of later in their adolescent life where they're just oh yeah I I wanted to play lacrosse. I mean obviously I'm pretty sure you probably played lacrosse before you had the opportunity to pick that up in college as well. But it's always funny to me how it's just as a casual thing like yeah I played to sports in college. like I don't care what level it is. It's a difficult thing to do. You have to balance the time commitment for the sports. You have to balance your time commitment for academics and everything. So I'm interested to hear just in general, and it can be from your high school experience combined with your collegiate experience, how you went about trying to achieve that balance where you were able to produce in the classroom, produce on the field and the different sports that you played. And I'm sure you also probably wanted to have some type of social life thrown in there, right?
1: Yeah, I was, well, actually, Colin, it's funny. I'm pretty much like, I don't know Christine told you, but I don't know. I'm like more of a straight edge person. I was like a nerd. So like social (laughs) life was not like, you know, typical college. I'm going to go out and party a lot. It was me, you know, like having a social group of friends, but I wasn't, you know, going out and doing all that stuff. So I didn't come into that until I got a little older, (laughs) but. Going back to your question about boards and how I kind of came about to it, and balancing that, I think in high school they kind of helped you shape you by saying, you know, you have a certain, you know, you're really regimented in school. You have, you know, what is it? You know, you're going from school from seven thirty to two thirty, then you're done, then you go to right to athletic practice, you know, from three to five. So that kind of kept you regimented and kept you focused in on stuff. When I transitioned to college, it was a little tougher, but um, I remember because I only ran one year cross country. My freshman year at Brockport and then I remember learning that you know the newer kids they help transition you by making go to a study hall and so that helped focus the school part of that so that's kind of how I learned how to balance things but I, I think too innately kind of my personality was like I didn't know if I want to do multiple things I have to like manage my time so it wasn't so much learning I think for me luckily it was kind of just kind of knowing myself and knowing what I had to get done and making a list and that's kind of how it was been
0: I think for a lot of us that compete in athletics and play sports, we deal with, I guess it's a challenge where you grow up, you know, maybe start competing in sports at the age of five and you continue playing through high school. And if you're lucky enough, you get to play through college. And then a lot of us drop off after that point, because as you know, competing at the highest levels is a ridiculously hard thing to do. But when we're in sports and we're in competition, a lot of our life is planned out for us, it's very regimented. Everything is, you know, you have this schedule, this is when you have to play, this is where you have to be and everything. And then you get into the real world, it's not quite that way anymore. I mean, maybe you find a workplace that's got a similar type setting, but even that I feel like is becoming less commonplace. I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm interested, did you struggle with your adjustment when you finished up college and you finished playing sports, like adjusting and not having like a set schedule or something that you were aiming to compete for or play for every single day?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of us who were lucky enough to compete at like a, any college level. You're right. Cause everything's scheduled for you. So when all of a sudden it's now you don't have that down, you have downtime. It's like, what do I do with myself? How do I balance it? So I kind of was lucky because I stayed in, I was a phys ed teacher before I went into administration, but I can kind of give you a sense of, so it was able to keep myself going and keep myself in shape, I guess, and balance things. But once I turned into an administrator, it was like, okay, where do I find the time to make sure I have that healthy balance of being competitive in sports in a sense? Like, so I'd give myself a goal saying, okay, I'm going to sign up for this race. Yeah. So, and I had a great uh, boss, especially a, where I am at Fabius Pompey. he believes in kind of keeping yourself, you know, balanced, especially in your health. So he's always like, you know, you need to get to the gym this morning. And, you know, and he knows me enough to say, you know, I like the gym. I like working out, but I have other, like, to me, I'm like, oh, I make sure I have like, you know, I have a faculty meeting today. I'm, I got to get that going. So my health might have trailed off. So he knows me good enough to say, okay, we're signing you up for a race so a 5k or, you know, a 10 miler or, I just recently was doing sprint triathlon, so I he knew me good enough to say you need to hit it and a, like kind of a health goal to get me going there, um, because if not, I think it is tough because now you don't have someone saying okay, go to the gym and you need to work out for two hours and you need to pick, play you know lacrosse for instance, you know no one's telling you that because you're done with that, so it's kind of a hard transition I guess. So I guess my advice to somebody is say who's in this kind of thing where they've been so. Organized with sports and in now business world, trying to keep their health up is to kind of find something you like to do if it's running, biking, or swimming something and finding a goal, finding a small race and having that to attain that, you know, like a race to say, I'm going to keep training.
0: I think the most interesting thing that I've picked up throughout the course of the early parts of this conversation already is how competitive you were and how competitive you still are. Maybe that phrase or that word has changed in some ways over the course of your life. But it's interesting to me to hear that you want to continue to do a 5K or do something that pushes you physically and also probably at times pushes you mentally. And I'm sure that carries over into the workplace and into other parts of your life. Where do you think that came from where you were... A competitive person when you were younger like where did that come from did, did your parents teach you that did somebody you know teach you how to be competitive and why do you think it was such a big thing that it's carried on throughout the entirety of your life
1: it's interesting because um i don't know if christine shared with you i'm adopted so you think the whole nature versus nurture thing and wondering i don't know like I don't, my parents like my dad was born and raised in montreal he played their country, they just kind of have club teams. He was hockey. He played hockey, obviously, being from Canada. And, you know, he played He played sports. He kind of they didn't really steal anything. My mom was kind of one of those typical older mothers that just, you know, didn't play sports, so she didn't have it. So I don't know where I really learned the competitive edge. I wonder if it was, you know, again, going back to that nature versus nurture, if it's something just – biological makeup made me more competitive or was it you know in school you know I always wanted to kind of keep up with the boys so did that make me competitive I don't know that's an interesting question but I always think about that you know being adopted like where do you get some of those traits do you learn it or is it like kind of embedded in you
0: yeah and it's really interesting to me because now you've brought it up twice where you were talking about it in terms of competition and athletics Mm -hmm. When you started cheerleading and you saw what the boys were doing and then you were talking about in the classroom, also wanting to take on the boys. And it is super interesting. I mean, I don't have an an answer for it, obviously, either, but it's one of those things. I mean, if somebody had asked me that question, like, where did your competitive nature come from? I, I think it's like with a lot of things in life, it's something that I don't know that you're born necessarily with it, but you have to be able to find a way to develop it. And like for me... If I'm trying to think back when I was younger, I was a shorter person. I'm still a short person. So it was to prove all the taller people wrong or the people that doubted me because I didn't have the same size as everyone because I was smaller and things like that. And I think that's where it started. And for me, again, it's the term competition, the word competition has changed significantly. Like I'm not as ultra super competitive as I was maybe on the baseball field back in the day, but I mean, I still I have my business. I want that to do well. I want to be the best husband I can be, the best son, I can be the best brother, I can be, you know, those type of things that carry over into life. So it is really interesting and especially you come from an adopted family and that's different obviously than a a lot of us experience. So
1: Yeah, and I like what you said too. It was very interesting about how you said like I'm kinda just talking about sports, but it does it does carry over into my work because Uh, I do want to make sure I'm I'm the leader of the building. So, you know, I'm the one with the final say of things. Or if I have an initiative, I want to see it through because I don't want something to fail, because I don't want fingers pointed at me. And it's really challenging because it's hard for me to say, all right, Colin, say you're one of my teachers. I put this trust in you to say, lead this one of these initiatives because I don't want to fail. So it's really hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to delegate something to you Mm -hmm. I have to learn how to do that. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. Delegating is I think probably one of the hardest things for leaders in all industries. It's probably one of the more common things, if not the most common challenge that I get from people who are in leadership positions or even people that are trying to get to a leadership position, because it's like you have to do everything on your own to get to that place and then you get to that place and you have all these other responsibilities that are more important of your time and it's like, I don't know how do, how do I let go? <laughs>
1: yeah. I think it's hard thing. I can't imagine running your own company. I think that's really cool. And you know, exactly because again, when you're kind of a leader like of your company, I'm a leader of the building, so it's kind of similar.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role then, like walk us through the specific details of what you do on a daily basis.
1: So right now I'm in an elementary building we're K through five building and I've been in the district for 12 years. So it's, it's kind of a unique situation here where this building was deemed like unhealthy. The culture was bad. You know what I mean? People were doing their own thing. My daily thing now is my second year being here is kind of trying to build the relationships back up try to drive the school, give them kind of a focus. So for instance, I run monthly meetings for English, you know, curriculum, and we're trying to get a consensus of what, what's our focus here. Is it we want to build a better foundation or do we want to just keep banging our heads against the wall because our kids can't read, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's kind of my daily thing is like finding different ways to say, okay, and picking teachers' brains about, because really, when you think about my background, it's not elementary ed, it's not, you know, it's biz ed, so it's a little different to say, okay, let's go into curriculum, and to really figure out, you know, who's on board with that, try to use them to kind of leverage, you know, those people who are maybe naysayers, so that's kind of right now my biggest charge right now is working on that, getting in the classroom, you know, generic stuff, like getting in a classroom, seeing the kids, you know, asking how their day is, you know, and then using that curriculum saying, okay, what are you learning in the classroom to see if they know what's going on in the classroom, then you know, the teacher is kind of doing a good job. And then of course, the fun part is I have to deal with discipline, you know, those are those mean things that I have to do, which is always not fun. And then parent contact is huge, especially at the elementary level. So it's kind of my day.
0: What was it about this specific opportunity that was something that caught your attention, took you away from, as you mentioned, what you were doing before, which was something completely different? I mean, there had to be something in there that said, like, hey, this makes sense for like, the next phase of my career, and this still aligns with what I want to be doing. I mean, was there something specific about it?
1: I think my, again, it goes back to, like, we have a strong um, superintendent here at my school, and he was like, if you want to continue on being an administrator, you have to have elementary experience. And I had to, at the, up to that point, I was just doing 6 through 12. And I did, like, um, some K through 12 stuff, but it wasn't really k5 specific so he kind of was more like if you want to move your career along so i guess it was motivational because i i want to keep moving on in in administration so that was probably why i did it because if you really ask me i think i gravitate more which is funny when i left the 6 through 12 building i was kind of like oh i go down to these little kids you know i like little kids but i don't know if i can be with little kids all the time so that was kind of like (laughs) i don't know if i want to go i was scared you know the joke was you know not superintendent because I think how I am I'm very like matter of fact and rigid I am rigid I know that so he's like you don't like little kids you're not you'll never be able to go down there but then he's like I needed he kind of said the principal wasn't doing a good job here and he's like I need to change and you're the change (laughs) so get used to being with little kids and now I like it (laughs) so
0: cool so you were basically forced to make a decision I mean you could have potentially stayed in the same line of work but not really had an opportunity to move up much further, if any further than what you were doing in the past. You could have completely switched careers maybe because the thought of working with smaller children wasn't that appealing to you, but you decided to bite the bullet, so to speak, and do this. What has the experience been like so far for you? Like, has, Has it surprised you in any way? Is there anything that is still kind of gnawing at you that you wish you could change, but did you make the right decision? I guess is what I'm getting at.
1: The jury's still out. Uh, so, but I'll tell you the funny part is, I thought because I was coming down here that I was a six or twelve, six or twelve building, so I thought I would like you know with grades three through five because that's considered upper elementary. But I find myself in the class, the K through two classrooms because they're more fun. So it's kind of, the irony is I, you know, I I said, oh, you're the harsh one, doesn't like little kids. And I'm in the little, little kids rooms more. The one thing I find the most challenging, the teachers want change, but they don't want change, if that makes sense. They know things need to be different. But when we have the open dialogue of let's get some change, they're kind of hesitant.
0: Is there a reason for the hesitation? Like, have you been able to at least identify it as something that you could potentially work on in the future.
1: I think again, like I said, I've been here for 12 years. The administrator who was before me just let the building go. So I think now it's just the comfort of, I like to be left alone, just leave me alone kind of thing. So I don't know. And I'm slowly cracking it. Cause I don't want to say it's still negative here, but it's like slowly cracking things. I think, you know, me coming in and saying, okay, I have this list of things that you guys complained about let's get cracking at it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> things that they actually came up with it, said, this is some things that we want to work on. So the irony is I'm just using what they asked for. <laughs> so, and I think what's also hard here is we flip-flop roles. So the administrator who left this building is still in the district. So I think that might be hard because people are still, some people did like the old administration, if that makes sense. Sure. So I think that's the, that might be a issue too.
0: Sure, yeah. And I think you bring up, A really interesting point. It seems like everything's been identified, whether you identified it, the person before you identified it, or even the teachers themselves identified it. But if you were to come in guns blazing and trying to just overall everything right away, that's probably not the best approach, not only in your profession, in your industry, but in many industries, you kind of have to build some of that equity with your team and build some of that trust really interesting i was just listening to another podcast today and there was a couple baseball players chatting and one of the guys who was on is a veteran he's 35 years old been in the league for 12 13 years the last 10 years he played with the same organization and then this year he moved on to a different organization wasn't really by choice he wanted to stay in the city that he was with and with the team that he's with you know that's where his family is that's where he grew up, he had to end up making that hard transition to move and go to a different city. So not only did he have that, but then it's like he was talking and it was really interesting to hear this because you hear from everybody about like what a great leader he is and everything. And he goes, yeah, I consider myself a leader, but I also had to understand when I came to this new team that this was so-and-so's team, not my team. Like I can't just come in and take over <laughs> right away. You know, I have to respect who is here. I have to build my own relationships and everything. And it seems like that's somewhat of the approach that you're taking in your
1: position. Yeah. I think that's you hit the nail on the head is that when anyone comes into a new position, you know, they, what they say, it's first three years of trying to build relationships, build an understanding of where, what the building was about, and then finding people are ready to move, make some changes, even if they're so if they're small. And then, you know, that it catches like wildfire. And I think that's the hardest part for someone probably like you and myself is that, you know, we want to change things. We're okay. We understand that change hurts. And if we see something, we want to fix it.
0: I will say that it is a little bit easier for me to change and to implement change just in my personal life. If I'm thinking about that, than it was even five years ago. Like it's something that I've had to grown into and even 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I remember one time my mom talking about how I couldn't do change at all. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that you work with and a lot of people that you work with that are in that boat. And it's like, you can't just flip a switch. Like it's something that you have to, you have to nurture it just like it was a muscle in your body or something like that. Just kind of nudge them along and say, this is why it's going to be good. This is what it's going to get for you. Maybe implement some small things here and there. So I think you're definitely on the right track. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat With Stads. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat With Stads offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to SweatWithStuds.com right now. And when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Let's talk about athletics a little bit more. And you alluded a little bit earlier to still being competitive and doing some races and some different things like that. I want to start with why in a little bit more detail, I know you talked about some of the health benefits and things like that. If you get carried away at work and your boss is telling you to go out there and get in a run, but why are some of the other reasons that staying in athletics and competing in sports are still important to you?
1: I think it's so, like kind of what you said about too, like, you know, the social life when we first talked about, you know, did you get involved or like social things of in join college I think that's what it is now it's more social so I guess when I say I'm competitive I don't know if I'm competitive because I don't try to win the event I just go out and do that so I don't know if I'm like I'm competitive and I want to do things but I don't like kill myself I guess I'm kind of at that level now but I think it's for social aspects you know you get to see the people and like see people at you know races and you're like oh I saw you at you know the mountain goat for instance and you know I saw you at the tip hill run so you know it's kind of I guess that's More of the aspects now is you get to see people or you get to meet different people in different parts of their lives and just, you know, hey, you know, when you're running in a race and you like start to see someone, you're like, okay, you know, they might be looking like they're ready to crash. And you're like, okay, well, I'm not running that fast. So just stay with me. You know what I mean? So it's kind of neat. That's kind of why I do things now. So that's kind of a nice avenue, too. And then just like I said, like I like to go see sporting events. I think it's always been a part of my life. So it's like I can't imagine not, you know, like it's easy for me to sit down like right now NCAA lacrosse going on. And, you know, watching the games, talking to people about the game. So I think that's more of it. It's just the more networking part of
0: it. Have a lot of your, I guess, best relationships throughout the years, like whether it was when you were younger or even now, have a lot of those come through athletics? Like, have you seen an actual return for all that time that you put in, especially when you were younger competing? And even now when it's a little bit more of just a casual thing where it's social and you get to go, you know, meet someone afterwards or you saw them at a run or something like that. I mean, have a lot of really great relationships opened up for you as a result of that?
1: Yeah, I would say that. Yes. And then too, it's, you know, it, again, going back to that, you know, buzzword of networking, you network, and then you go, Oh, this person works at this school district, you know, and when you want, you know, like a different professional development, you're like, Oh, I remember Colin was at West Hill and he was talking about doing this. So it's kind of like using that as kind of another platform, you know, like, networking and figure out who has maybe strengths in different areas that you don't and say, how can I capitalize on that?
0: Why is that particular part important to you to realize that there are other people out there that have strengths, maybe in areas where you're not as strong. I don't want to say it's a weakness, but maybe not as strong. And why is it important to you to be able to connect with those folks to learn from them the reason I ask is because again I think you see a lot of resistance people either want to not know the information because it's just too much of a burden to learn something new as we talked about earlier with the change or it can be that they whatever they think they think is ultimately right and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks but it seems like you have adopted the approach of being able to know where your strengths are and know where you can still get help from other people. How do you go about that whole approach?
1: I think it came because I, again, I'm not the expert in everything. And I think it goes back to the old adage of I'm, I'd rather like, you know, you probably had friends like, or your dad was your coach and you're like, I'm not gonna listen to him, but your friend was a coach and you're like, okay, I want to listen to him. <laughs> so I think that's the thing when I, when I think about it. Cause sometimes I think my staff thinks um, I do know stuff, but they're like, I don't want to listen to you. But if I bring someone else in, they're the expert. So it looks better. So that's, why it's important for me to network and find other people that are the experts in the field because I feel some of these topics are strong and that our staff needs to be educated in it. So if it's not me, then who?
0: Cool. With athletics now at this point in your life, I mean, what do you see for yourself moving forward? It's been a part of your life for a long time. And you mentioned not only that you compete and you've competed in the past, but you also like to go to sports. So what do you see as the role that sports plays in your life over the course of the next ten to twenty years—like how does that impact you professionally, personally?
1: Well, I I, I kind of miss coaching. So a couple years ago, I, I did a youth lacrosse team out because I live in FM. So that was kind of fun. So I think me delving back into like if I need a, that, I guess "quote unquote" fix of being more involved in an athletic program is maybe reaching out to a youth program, saying, "Hey, do you need a coach?" Or even if it's just kind of one day going in and, you know, sharing a skill. So I think see it that way. My, I do have a fiancé, and he has two boys. So being a part of their sports is kind of where I'll stay. You know, they both play – one plays soccer in the fall and plays lacrosse because it's kind of a lacrosse family, lacrosse in the spring. And then the youngest plays football and lacrosse as well. So I guess I see myself kind of being that, you know, what do they call it, the soccer mom or lacrosse mom <laughs> um, at games And then just, you know, what's always nice is my fiance is a lacrosse official now. So, you know, going to games, seeing games, and then hopefully he moves up to the next level of college. So then, you know, that's always fun and exciting to do is go to college games, you know. So I guess I see myself doing that. I don't know if I'm going to compete myself as much, you know, just, you know, I teach cycling at the Y. I take classes at the Y. So I see me more that avenue rather than racing or doing events like that. So You know, just being, continuing to be active, but more in the fitness realm, but not the athletic
0: realm, I guess. And with the coaching specific part of it, do you want to get back in full blown? Like, do you want to be a head coach of lacrosse or like cross country or something like that? Or is it more you want to be behind the scenes or maybe even, you know, now that you're getting the experience with the youth in the school setting, maybe a youth team of some sort?
1: Yeah, I dabble in that too, but then you wonder about how much time commitment you, you can give to that, you know what I mean? So that again, going back to our first talk conversation, how do you transition from being in athletics and then, you know, going to the work world and balance that you still want to have some sort of athletic thing? Because I think if you like how I am, I like go all in sometimes the balance isn't there. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to coach, you know, and focus on coaching and then maybe something else slips. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or right now I'm, this is my second year being the elementary principal. I really need to focus in on that. Can I give my whole heart, you know, cause I think I'm a unique principal. I'm here at 730 every morning and I don't leave here until probably till you know, 435 o'clock. You know, I think that's a unique, maybe not. I feel it's unique, especially in the, around the administrators here, you know, I'm putting my time in and then, you know, 535 hit 435 hits you get home, you're like, I have a dog, I got to walk the dog, you know, get, you know, I work out in the morning, thank God. Cause if I don't in the evening, it's like, okay, what's next to do just, like, fresh.
0: <laughs> Yeah. You've got to be exhausted by the time the evening rolls around. And that's what Christine's big morning workout person. I try to, I'm more of like a mid-morning. I, I do a little bit of work why a lot of people aren't working because I can get more done and people aren't bothering me as much. <laughs> but yeah, if I wait until the evening time, it's it's not happening. It's I, I've, I've pretty much learned that about myself.
1: Right. Yeah. So where do I see myself? I think, yeah, just being, you know, loving to like, I said, if an opportunity comes, I don't think I'd really seek out an opportunity coach. Like I said, the opportunity came to me, one of my teachers said, Hey, I'm coaching my daughter's team, but I don't really want to be the coach coach, but I'll be there with you. And do you want to help out? And said, sure, I not? So it's kind of one of those more, if someone comes to me, I would love to do it, but I don't know if I could give the full-time commitment that kids deserve, you know, so knowing that about myself as well.
0: Sure. And I think that's really important. I think you've identified that your personal aspirations and your professional aspirations outside of coaching and more specific to the administration side are probably the direction that you want to put the majority of your energy into, at least at this point in your life. And I guess with that, the natural question that I have, and maybe is something that you've thought about or dreamed about, what do you think is the ultimate goal for where you want to go with your professional journey? Taking this, I don't want to say you took a step back, but you certainly took a leap to get back to probably something that's a little bit more in line with what you like to do and what you're wanting to do. What does that path look like? Like, where do you ultimately want to go with things?
1: So it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I started off as phys ed teacher and then, you know, like, oh, athletic director, it seems the next progression to go into. But then, you know, I realized I was at a small school. So I was assistant principal and athletic director, which isn't like uncommon in small schools. And I don't know, sometimes the confidence level with me was like, I don't know if I could really do a big school and put a time commitment in because it is a lot of time commitment. You know, again, going back to here, being an administrator, you're, you have to be here at 7.30 in the morning and then you're going till about 2.30. But then if you're an athletic director, you have evening events. You know, you have games that start at like 7 o'clock at night because, it's, you know, basketball, you know, doubleheader. And then you don't leave probably till like 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I can do it all over again. So that kind of was interesting, that lifestyle. Even though I loved athletics, the athletic director at a small school wasn't something I was Mm -hmm. like, eh, not keen on. And my superintendent was like, you know, athletic, you know, it's going to be funny. Athletic directors are for drunk old men who are divorced. (laughs) 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 And he's like, you don't fit the mold for either of those, so let's find something else for you to do. So I guess in a roundabout way, my ultimate goal might be to go back and maybe find a school you know, sometimes I toy you the idea of going back into being in the athletic world because when I was there, I was like part of a lot of committees, um, and that kind of was appealing. But then again, the hours weren't so. I guess the next progression for me would be probably, like I said, to look into a superintendency where I'm in charge of like a whole districts. So that's kind of my trajectory. And I don't know sometimes if it's something where I'm like feel totally confident to do, but at this point, staying at an elementary building isn't something that I want to continue to do because I have probably 15. 20 more years left in administration. So it's kind of like, it's almost been like, I just have to keep moving forward, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, it does. And I'd be really interested. You certainly don't need to give specifics to the school or even to the district, but I'm sure there's things percolating through your head that you know need to change to better impact the kids that are coming through your school system. Can you share with us some of those different things, what they might be, what some of the challenges you might be facing are with some of them. Just kind of giving you like your presidential stand here to <laughs> to yeah. tell us about that.
1: <laughs> so what's interesting to me is that I, you know, if there's that background and I'm huge into like, you know, kids need to have recess. We need to do more, you know, not sitting in the desk for 20 minutes for a lesson. So if it's a 20 minute lesson, You know, how many times can we get the kids moving in that? So I think the biggest thing for me is to figure out how to balance the state standards along with making the kids being able to be, like, kinesthetic and moving. Uh, So that's kind of one of the things I see here, that this is what I want to do. I want to push, you know, we should have more kids outside versus inside. How does it look for that? And then there's, you know, the challenge here, I think, too, as a small school district, is we want to provide a lot of opportunities for our kids. And I think we do a great job with that. But there's a balance. and There's give and take. So, you know, we might have example at the middle high school. We have AP classes. We have probably like maybe three or four kids that are in it. Is that really economical or should we be saying, okay, let's figure out what AP classes we can add with 20 kids in it. But, you know, which is nice here is that we provide a lot of opportunities for our kids and it is costly, you know, figuring out that balance. So that's our challenge.
0: Great. And. As you know, when I asked you to come on the podcast, I'm doing a teacher slash coach slash administrator month on the podcast, just really highlighting all the great people that are doing amazing things for kids and for students. You are the only one on the administration side that I have on throughout this month. So your perspective is unique. I had a college volleyball coach I have a high school soccer coach and then a softball coach as well. Both of the high school ones are teachers. I'm really interested because you obviously have been on both sides. And even though you were a phys ed teacher, you're still a teacher. And it's, I'm sure, relatable in a lot of ways to what some of the other teachers deal with, whether they're challenges, successes. From your perspective, what are the biggest differences between? Being in a teacher role versus being in a superintendent, or excuse me, an administration type role. The reason I'm asking is because there might be somebody listening who is thinking about going into teaching or is thinking about going into administration and they're trying to determine what's the difference? Like, why should I get involved in one versus the other? Can you provide some light on that?
1: So, when you think about being a teacher, you have more hands on with your kids, if that makes sense. When you become an administrator, you're more in charge of. Overall programs, and you see the students, but you see them less because you're not in the trenches, I guess you'd say. And so, then you, you know, a lot of people sometimes find the balance of, you know, I really want to be with the kids all the day, but then sometimes people go in administration because they're like, oh, I see a problem with the teaching role itself. I want to be able to help the overall role. So, that's where I see the difference is like teaching, you're like more in the trenches, you want to have more contact with kids administration, you kind of like, all right, I've been there. Now I want to, I want to kind of lead something, lead an initiative. And I think I can do it more as a administrator versus sometimes a teacher.
0: Now this can be from your personal perspective only if you want, but do you think that in order to be an administrator that you should have been in the trenches as you put it and been a teacher before that? Or do you think that you can just be an administrator and not have that hands-on experience.
1: Well, in most states, you have to start being a teacher first. And I guess I would say that, too, because if you come in, if you see a lot of times now we kind of joke about when states come in and make kind of crazy uh, demands or change standards, like people go, who really made that? Did Were they actually teachers in the trenches? And so that's when you sometimes see the rubs. So I think, yes, to your question is that you have to be a teacher first to understand Uh, before you go into principal role because the staff won't respect you in a sense and they will like oh yeah you don't know what it's like to do this and you don't know like what it's to deal with johnny when he's screaming you know or you know you don't know how it is to deal with a parent so they would just look at you when you like make these kind of overall arching things for a school they wouldn't find you credible
0: i figured there was probably some type of state regulations or different pieces that play into that as well. But it it is interesting that it's one of those things that I feel like in order to get that credibility that you mentioned, you really do have to have that experience in the trenches because otherwise, I mean, there, there are jobs out there where I don't think that's really necessary. Like you should be able to get into a middle management position or even a director position At a different company, even if you don't have industry experience, like if you can manage people and that's what the role calls for, it shouldn't matter what industry you come from. Right. But this we're talking about a whole different thing, and I think it is something. So if somebody is considering that route for a professional career, just good to know that, hey, you probably do have to (laughs) go the teacher route before you can go the administration route. Now we are going to move into the learning and development portion of our conversation. And with all my guests, I always like to give them an opportunity to talk about one of the seven pillars or one or two of the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. And today you've identified one of these pillars that is really close to you and that you want to talk about, and that is grit. So can you tell us why grit is such an important pillar? I think um,
1: because there's a, being an administrator and being a teacher, you're a role model for students. And grit is important for kids to have because they need to have a kind of a sense of stick to it So I think that's why I think it's one of those big things that we need to have. And I think I have that because if you look at my career, I've kind of gone from teaching to administrative job. And then an administrative job, it's like, you know, I found out I didn't really – I love the athletics, but it wasn't really a good fit for me. So, you know, what's the next thing I can maybe – reinvent myself. So kind of stick to it in this of, you know, I'm going to be in administration for the long haul. So where can I find my niche and where I can be successful and help others be successful. So that's kind of where I think grit is one of those things that people need to have and something that I've really tried to work at.
0: Have you by chance ever read the book grit by Angela Duckworth?
1: I don't think I've read hers, but I've you know, read different to- different books on grit because it's a really big thing here. I think they're saying like a lot of our kids nowadays, they don't have that, you know, it's, we're a we're like kind of social media, instant gratification, and we're going to put things out there and not understand that you could have consequences and you got to keep striving for working at things. So I've read a lot more educational part about grit versus, I don't know if I've read hers.
0: I would highly recommend it. It's probably got the most shout outs on my podcast. It's a really great book. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is because you basically just defined what her definition of grit is. She works at the University of Pennsylvania and has been doing all this research for years and years and has talked to military, talked to athletes, talked to teachers, all different industries. What her definition of grit is, is when, so for you, in this example, you picked that you wanted to help people, right? And in the beginning, that was being in athletics, being a phys ed teacher. Now it's in the administration side. And your grittiness that you talked about has led you to continue to grow in this industry, in education, and being able to help the kids. And you've just—not that it's really a straight line—but you've been able to continue to grow, continue to learn, and that's her definition of grit. So it was really when you said that my ears lit up. I was like, "Whoa, that's that's what grit is." Like you totally get it, (laughs) but. In addition to talking about the pillars, I love to learn about how the people that I have on the podcast, my guests, how they learn in a little bit more detail. Like, do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you have anything in particular that you want to share with the listening audience that might be able to help them? Can you share anything with us on that today?
1: Well, I'm very not I'm not a good role model because if I had, was asked to read things, I'm not. A, I don't like to read, but I like to just kind of like use like magazines. So I it, I read a lot on educational leadership. It's kind of I belong to obviously organizations. You get a magazine with that, and they have different topics. So I use I use those a lot. And then if I want to go further, then I research on the you know whether it's on the internet or you know look into further books, but I don't know. I'm not, like, if you ask me about books that I read, I can't really think off the top of my head of actual books. It's just different, like, snippets of information, and then I just kind of, go, it spirals from there, and I'm like, oh, I found this topic, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to read on somebody, like, so, for instance, you know, our school today was working on John Hatties, and the, and the most influential things that teachers can do to impact student learning, so it's kind of like, okay, I get inspiration from that little topic, and then I go find something else, so I don't have, I guess we got a no bad thing about a lot of people like to read books and I'm kind of just like, uh,
0: I'm not a book right <laughs> I used to be that way. So don't feel bad about it, but actually those educational committees, I think you refer to them as, can you share with us maybe just what a couple of those things are or like how you get involved with them? Cause I think that could be something really tangible that if there's people that want to get more involved or learn more about the administration side and, or education in general, that might be something that could really help them.
1: Yeah, so I give you examples. So we have some teachers that want to do leadership. So I would just give examples of any time that you're as a teacher, you can get on of like different committees and then use those committees to help kind of propel yourself to like shine a little bit more than someone else on the committee. Take, you know, the initiative to like, okay, so for example, professional development, we, you know, we're going to have like a wellness day. So using, you know, maybe teacher says, oh, I have a lot of ideas about wellness and then taking the lead and saying, I I can go out and get this resource for us or, you know, organize things. So putting yourself out there, there. For administration, once I got an administration, like so for instance, athletic director, I was able to get on different committees. I was on the scheduling committee. I was on selective classification committee. And that means, you know, for kids, looking into how kids can, if they're in eighth grade, get into, you know, work towards getting on a JV team or varsity team. I was on like, a female rock committee. So, you know, just finding yourselves, getting on committees, getting yourself out there, you know, saying, here, I have something to share with you. This is how I, I think I could enhance the committee. Um, the most recent one I was on was a, a state committee. So I was really honored. It was for teacher evaluation. So, you know, again, as you get going, your name gets out there and, you know, people hear you and networking and they're like, oh, you know, Chantal would be a good person for this committee. She understands, you know, teacher evaluation. She's been in the trenches like with developing it and so it's kind of neat. So that would that would be my recommendation. Just, you know, get on committees, show your shine your light on your expertise and share it with others.
0: I think that's awesome advice and just being on committees, being on boards, volunteering your time. I mean, that's really the biggest commitment is it's the time that you have to put into it a lot of these things aren't going to pay extra money, but it's a really good opportunity to network, to show off your expertise and your skills and also to learn new skills. So to do those type of things, I think takes a really unique perspective and somebody who's really pushing to do something great like you are. And to close our conversation, I always ask my guests, there's obviously so many people in our lives that make an impact and we talk about those seven pillars. We've talked about so many things when it comes to to leadership today. Is there someone in your life that stands out as a leader to you that you want to give a shout out to, really quickly?
1: i probably going back to like, throughout the conversation. I've like weaved it in. It's probably the superintendent here at Fabius Pompey. He reaches all those categories of that you know pillars of dynamic leadership. You know, he has drive and accountability, so he always supports teachers who have good ideas for students, but he wants to hold you accountable. So if you have a good idea, you have to kind of justify what you're going to do and then have a plan of how you're going to show, yeah, that was successful. He's really good at motivating people, like finding, like, again, for me, it was like, he knew I would be good at this, you know, he knew athletics was by far my good cup of tea. But then he's like, I want to push her further because it is a tougher industry, you know, and it's long hours. So let's find out what she can do. Zofi so is a good communicator because he's superintendent, so he's able to reach. And what's unique about him and his communication skills, he we're in a rural district, and he can talk with the farmers, but then he can talk to the upper end of our community too with engineers. And so it's really neat. He's had those experiences, and I think that's what makes people like him and trust him. So it's me like, kind of figuring out how do I get those connections with the community as well because I don't have that worldly Experiences he does like it's a really amazing to watch and I always like laugh too because he's always able to get to talk to the you know the people who are really stressed out and it's always funny when we talk about discipline I can give a discipline consequence and the parents are disgruntled and watch you know I watch him give a consequence which I probably said the same thing but he said it a little differently the parents are like shaking his hand and saying I understand and I accept it so it's kind of funny to watch I would say he's definitely a dynamic leader That's something I somewhere I look up to and you know try to use some of his skills
0: and hopefully I put them into my practice as well. That's so cool. Yeah. It seems like a dynamic leader to me. Those are really great examples of all those attributes that you gave. So thank you so much for sharing that before I let you go. I just want to ask you if there's anything that you want to leave us with any last pieces of advice or anything that you can share with us before we let you go.
1: I think the biggest thing is if you want something to make sure that you research it and make sure it's something you truly want and then go after it. I think that's a hard thing for people to do sometimes is put themselves out there. But if you don't take that chance, you never know what could happen. And hopefully you have someone believing in you kind of like I did. And now look where I'm at. I just never thought I'd be here as a principal. So <laughs> take a chance, make sure you do your research and then take that leap.
0: Beautiful. I love it. Great words to end this conversation. And Chantel, I can't thank you enough for taking time. Obviously, we know how busy you are and how many things you have going on. So, really appreciate your time, your insight, and everything that you shared with us today. If there's anyone real quick that wants to get in touch with you, is there an easy way to connect with you? Maybe email or something like that?
1: Yeah, I would just say go to the um, Fabius Pompey website and then look under contacts. I don't know if- we have a really primitive website because I, I think we like want to be known, but we don't want to be known. We, we know we do good things on our, we know we do good things and we're like not sometimes wanting to share everything. Um, but it's uh, C Corbin, C O uh, R C C O R B I N at Fabius Pompey.org.
0: Awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes. So if there is anyone that's maybe looking to get into the educational side of things and wants to pick your brain or just wants to shout you out for having a great conversation, they can do that, but Chantel, again, really thank you so much for your time today. It was great to chat with you and can't wait to see what's coming in the future for you.
1: Oh, awesome. And then it's uh, Teacher Appreciation Week, so we appreciate the teachers and all they do here.
0: And that's a wrap on Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month here on the podcast. Thanks for listening in and thank you again to Chantel for sharing all of her expertise. It was great having her on and learning about the administrator side of education Quick shout out to our sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Shout out as always to you, the listeners, for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the pod. We are back next week with another guest, so stay tuned for that. Enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day.